In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. When we are first introduced to the Christian calendar, we can sometimes adopt the false idea that the church decided to set down at once a clear, linear progression of fasts and feasts that neatly corresponded to our Lord's life. The truth, though, is that the calendar emerged in a very nonlinear way. The central meaning-giving event was the passion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, with all of time and its events before and after being interpreted or reinterpreted in light of them. The central question for understanding all of time was this, how does the experience of communion with this risen Lord change everything we know? Christian theology followed a similar logic. It emerged as the church narrated its experience of union with Christ and was refined as inadequate explanations for this union emerged through what became known as heresies. The first and foundational creedal statements of Christian belief started with Jesus himself, professing who he is and the nature of his mission. This led naturally to a meditation on the nature of God, the triunity of the Father, Son, and Spirit, fully the one and distinctly the three. As these professions about God and Christ emerged, though, the church immediately discerned the need to meditate on the way that God, through Christ, saved humanity and the world. And the beginning of this meditation was with the person in whom was known the very moment the incarnation of Christ began, with the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Annunciation comes exactly nine months prior to Christmas Day, the feast of Christ's birth. If we're not careful, we can commit the common error that Christmas was the day that Jesus' life began. But as every mother in the room could easily tell us, that is not the case. This would make him inhuman. Genuine humans are conceived and then nurtured in, by, in the wombs of their mothers, the moment of Christ's conception by the Holy Spirit within the womb of Mary was understood early in the church as a day of inexpressible importance because it was the beginning of his life. They discerned early on that any part of our humanity, any part of our human experience that was not assumed by the Son of God was not to be redeemed. The necessary union of a full humanity with God's divinity was no abstract affair at the Annunciation. It required the motherhood with everything that comes with it and the person of Mary, who would come to know within herself our Lord in the most vulnerable and meekest of his days and who would become herself the first icon of how divine grace comes to redeem all things. Mary 
is our gateway to understanding how salvation comes to the creation, to the redeemed and the new humanity of the church first, and then to the whole of the cosmos that yearns with expectation for the revealing of the children of God. To understand this, though, we have to look back first to the place of Eve in Genesis at the creation. In the beginning, God made all things, including man, who was set as head over the creation. Yet the creation of man was incomplete until the creation of woman. The man and the woman, Adam and Eve, became the head of creation, meaning that through them the whole creation was presented to God. All the world and all the generations were vicariously represented through them together. Adam alone was an incomplete expression of humanity in the image of God. Eve completed humanity as the image and likeness of God. The mutual integrity of Adam and Eve to their divinely appointed vocation ushered an abundance of life for the creation. However, the rupture of integrity to that vocation in the fall ushered in death to themselves and to all who were represented in them. The Annunciation is the announcement of God's healing of that fall. God comes to the Virgin Mary not in the manner of the horrible ancient gods and their brutish assertions of will, but with gentle graciousness and respect for her integrity, sending to her an angelic servant to whom, if she would, she could have said no. But reversing the no of humanity, going back to our first parents, Mary said yes to this new, divinely appointed vocation. At the Annunciation, Mary's yes made a gift of humanity to God, not withholding it, and so ushered in the incarnation, and with it a new and abundant life in a world corrupted by death. All of us are represented in the gift of humanity that Mary made to Christ, and all of us are represented in him, as he makes a gift of himself to God on the cross. The new Adam comes forth from this daughter of Eve and then makes her the new Eve, a mother to all the redeemed. Jesus makes their missions inextricable from one another. He magnifies her, she magnifies him, and he magnifies her all the more world without end. And in the end, that is what salvation really means. We cannot meditate too much on Mary and her continual yes to God. She is essential to our understanding of what it means to love and follow Christ. To diminish or, God forbid, to excise her from 
our understanding of the gospel is to risk adopting a gospel that cannot touch or redeem our life as it is, our true humanity. She teaches us how to offer ourselves, soul and body, to God and to receive ourselves back from God as redeemed members of Christ's new family. As we turn now, tonight, to receive Jesus, the new Adam, we receive the body and the blood that Mary first gave him on that great day of Annunciation, which was then perfected through suffering and glorified in resurrection. That is the body and the blood of the Eucharist. And we could do no better than to receive that body and blood following the example of Our Lady and of her words at the Annunciation. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.